0: Hello, and welcome back to the Not-So-Secret-Source podcast, where we open source the secret source. My name is Adam Wayfield, Managing Editor at Founders Factory Africa. Glad you could join us. On this edition of the Not-So-Secret-Source podcast, we are talking about network building and reporting on the African tech ecosystem. With well, success in the ecosystem often relying on who you know and who your contacts know. Now, with me today is Abdur Rahmani chief exploration officer at Sendemo, where you explore Africa's different innovation ecosystems to identify, explain, and make the most impactful models actionable to all students and doers in the continent. Originally from Algiers in Algeria, you are also a lecturer, writer, a former founder, and a consultant. Welcome, Abdou. How are you today?
1: Thank you so much. I'm very good and happy to be here.
0: No, thank you. And just thanks for accepting the invitation. Just as to provide some context to listeners, Founders Factory Africa has been working with uh, uh, or Abdu, as he as he's very happy to be called, on some deep dive writing projects focusing on the African tech ecosystem. You can check that out on our LinkedIn profile and also on Medium if you want to read them. We've got a couple coming out in the next few weeks. But... Let's move on to the business for today. The theme of today's episode, and that's why we're so excited to have you here, is network building and reporting on the African tech ecosystem, which in a nutshell is what you do. Given my own background in media, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. But first, uh, Abdur, an icebreaker, if you're willing. Are you ready to do an icebreaker with us?
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Let's go for it.
0: Okay, great. So we're going to play a fun rapid-fire version of Would You Rather. The MO is this. All you have to do is tell us what you would rather do when I pitch you some scenarios. All right, so let me let me get going. <laughs> One, would you rather travel back in time to meet your ancestors or to the future to meet your descendants?
1: Mm, I would say travel back in time. Ten years ago, I would probably have said travel to the future. <laughs> but I feel that the more I grew up and the more I value the past and our inheritance, Also, I think this year especially, I came to understand that the past is not always all black and white and we have a lot to learn from our past to avoid making the same mistakes and I think it helps us a lot understand our present so so yeah definitely I think I would go for the past
0: uh, That's an excellent and for my answer. ancestors <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent answer I, I tend to agree with you I think it was Winston Churchill someone else who said that history doesn't repeat itself it rhymes which, which seems to make a lot of sense correct right, question two yeah, <laughs> would you rather have unlimited wealth or or unlimited power
1: I think that's a real poison gift uh, both <laughs> scare me a lot um, you but I yeah <laughs> but I'm probably more scared of having unlimited power than having uh, unlimited wealth so, so maybe if I have to choose I'll go for unlimited wealth instead uh, fair enough
0: uh, in theory you can count wealth you can't count the limits of power if you just look all over the world <laughs> you see the <laughs> bad results of unlimited power uh, point three your flight crashes on a deserted island, would you rather be stranded with an old iPod and headphones with your favorite music, a good friend, so you have someone to talk to, or two of your favorite books? Well, first
1: of all, it would be impossible for me to choose two books only. Um, <laughs> okay. So so I can eliminate, eliminate this one straight away. Fair enough. But also, I'm very passionate about music. Like I spend a lot of time, maybe four or five mm-hmm. hours a day listening to music. So I know that I need it. But I also know that for my survival, I will probably need a friend that is very handy and able to do useful things with his hands, <laughs> as it is not my case. So I think I will go for a good friend with, uh, with two good hands. <laughs>
0: Pragmatic to the degree as well. I'm sure we can, when we speak to you a bit more about our subject matter today, we'll find out more about that. I'll go probably for the music, <laughs> otherwise I'd go insane. I might, I might change my mind. And then lastly, would you rather start a colony? on another planet or be the leader of a country on earth I know you're in Paris so I don't, I don't know if, if that influences your answer or not
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably I think I would um rather be a leader on the country on Earth. Like, I'm a big fan of fiction movies. Mm. I'm very passionate about the space industry and especially how it is now being completely reshuffled, you know, by new technologies, um, new entrepreneurs, new mindset and stuff. Yes. But at the same time, I've always thought that it was a nonsense that we go and explore like new stellar systems while we still don't know like half of our uh, oceans and uh yeah you know when uh, when i read this when you, you asked me this question i, I mm-hmm. the first thing i saw, i thought about is the movie matrix you know oh, with yes. uh, mr mr smith yes, and yes. yeah there there is like this very particular moment when he uh, compares humans to to viruses you know oh, yes. in the way we uh, settle yes, somewhere that. expand exponentially until we use like all the available resources and then move on to another spot and I think that scares me a lot. And the truth about this always scared me a lot. So, yeah, I think uh, we have a responsibility here and now. And and it's probably better and more responsible to focus on Earth.
0: Uh, that's true. And I mean, Hugo Weaven did, did a fantastic job in that scene as the arch-villain. It's a great little soliloquy that, <laughs> that he puts out. But my, my general view of humanity, I guess from a political standpoint, you can call me a Hobbes, or you know, a realist. You've got to watch out for people, hey? We've got to, we've got to work, work with them. So I tend to agree with you. Let's first start at home. Then we can think about exploring the stars. There's great fiction out there. I mean, The Expanse It's probably in the most realistic series. If I'm going to plug something, that's really quite good if you're going to watch it. Yeah, so it's definitely. This, the, this mission of space exploration but thank you so much for indulging add us that to my list. Thanks. <laughs> that's good it, I, I would highly recommend it to our listeners uh, especially space travel it seems to be a bit more realistic but anyway <laughs> pardon me i digress let's move on to the main events. and as i said the subject here is network building and reporting on the african tech's ecosystem so I, I guess my first question for you and i know in the work that we've collaborated on what's really impressed me is just how much you travel traveled across the continent so i know you're originally from algeria which certainly gives you i think an insight to maybe north africa in the region specifically but you have traveled literally anywhere i know if you're hoping to speak to some of our colleagues i found this factory of africa and when i first introduced you you also wear many hats that point in the direction of the africa tech ecosystem where did your interest in the startup ecosystem begin and why is it such a subject of fascination for you
1: I think to well, the the answer to that question is deeply rooted in my um, in my history as you said mm. uh, I come from uh, from Algeria I was I was born in Africa I come from also a family of doctors and you know I always thought that being a doctor was a very complicated profession and I uh, escaped from it as from this path as soon as I got the opportunity but now I kind of look at it differently because even if it's a complicated profession, it's also a very simple one and easy one. You know, uh, like the the reward of your job is obvious. You you do your act and you save a life. It's it's easy, and I think I've been uh, since then very obsessed by the the usefulness and the impact of of my actions. And with the with the business school degree, I think mm-hmm. I had to, lead to 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 wonder a little bit more than my parents were doctors, like how uh, my knowledge and my skills could um, could prove to be useful and impactful. I always knew that I wanted to work or at least uh, dedicate my uh, my energy and my skills towards the, the development of, of the continent, of Africa and, mm-hmm. and my country, uh, Algeria. But I didn't really know how, uh, and I slowly got into, into what I'm doing today. And I first started to work like for um, as an internship, like my first internship was for a, a consulting firm based in Miami that works with international aid agencies who do uh, development projects in Africa. And so I was very happy and convinced that this was the thing. And so I started and I uh, led development projects in Burkina Faso, in Morocco, in Madagascar. And I got very uh, attached to the continent and to uh, and to the, 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 like dedicating my time to, uh, to to its economic development. But six months after my internship, uh, Internship, I was dedicating and focusing my graduation thesis on the ineffectiveness of development aid mechanisms. And so yeah. I was a little bit disappointed by all this. Then following some um, opportunities and circumstances, I got into entrepreneurship after my degree. I thought then that I could probably have a greater impact by navigating outside the institutions. Mm-hmm. So mm. that was in uh, 2013. It lasted three years, but I realized at that moment how, well, firstly, that I was not really an entrepreneur and I was not really meant to be an entrepreneur, but also that I loved technology and I loved its potential. I loved the fact that entrepreneurship and technology are now at a time where they can set new rules in an industry, in a market, in a country, between people, etc. I love the fact that technology or how technology can be a very useful and much more direct and impactful way to reach people and to to, to actually change their lives in a very direct way. And, and I think that was a, a real trigger for me because then I realized that through technology and through entrepreneurship, the African continent had a great opportunity to fasten its development path. And I really believed in that. So I started working in an innovation agency in Paris as a strategy consultant. And I think there I managed to sharpen a little bit my uh, skills and my understanding of technology, digital technology, how they can be useful, how they can be applied in uh, different industries to serve business purposes, but also social purposes or socioeconomic purposes. And during that time, I also started to specialize in Africa writing articles, publishing Mm. studies, and trying to to develop some offers that will be adapted to some specific markets in the continent. And I think that's how I've built my, uh, my passion around it. And then after that, I was a little bit frustrated since I was doing all this from Paris and from behind the computer. And so I decided to quit this job and to start um, like this uh, independent exploration project of 13 tech ecosystems in the continent. To go in the ground, to, uh, to raise my awareness, to deepen my knowledge and finally be able in all conscience Mm. Uh, to advise on how technology and entrepreneurship could really become more impactful and useful in Africa and uh, help some countries reach uh, like uh, international um, human development standards.
0: What you just said there is very much music to my ears. I know from a founder's Factory Africa point of view, we're joining of the view that to really make a difference on the continent, that means good business. Good business is sustainable. Good business is impactful. As long as it's solving a uh, I guess to use the jargon term, particular pain point in a market. It's solving real problems um, in, in local markets in real time. And then you are making an impact. And I, I'm sure being part academic yourself, you you've, have deep yeah, knowledge of the, of the communications jump that Africa has made. Uh, we went straight to the mobile phone because there was nothing else. And just the very, very important role telecoms play on the concept in terms of advancing the ecosystem. So I, I cannot agree with you more in terms of that sense. Also, the interesting is Reds have newcomer, to the ecosystem, I'm strongly in line with your view. Technology is how we're going to create impactful change. And that's what FFA, in a sense, tries to do to do a little bit of a plug for what FFA does. But as I've noted, we've already worked together in several, several deep dives. I know Algeria, we have published that, your home country, please go read it. If you haven't, if you are listening, it's a fantastic piece of work. And as someone who did not know much about the Algeria tech ecosystem, I found it highly informative. I know we have one coming out in Senegal soon and Benin. And as someone who's worked with you, a hallmark of your work is detail, and in particular, on-the-ground insights, as if you are speaking to local entrepreneurs, but that's what you do. So for someone, let's say, who goes into a market such as Senegal, I know you do speak French, so I know language could be a helpful bridge, but you've been to other markets where English is the preferred language on the ground, as an example. How do you go about forming relationships with ecosystem and players in countries where you don't have established personal relationships
1: i uh, actually like yeah the, the that well at least having or getting to that level of details and and to um, that level of insights was exactly the, the my, ambition, my ambition through this project mm-hmm. i felt when i was uh, as i told you I was still in paris working as a strategy consultant yes. that the Available online literacy about startup ecosystems in Africa was too often written in either a very journal- journalistic style, yes. or too often fell in like a kind of overly positive narrative, you know about uh, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, but that's true um, that or, or too yes. optimistic. And from my, my yes. perspective, it, it was complicated to get to get access to to true and actionable insights. I knew I was missing a lot and so uh, my ambition my ambition was really to to take the time to get true insights from the ground to like uh, try to bring my uh, analytical uh, grid um, inherited from my consulting experience mm-hmm. to observe and relate what's happening differently and uh, most uh, importantly in a, in a much more actionable way for the ecosystem uh, players and uh, I wanted it to be like I, I was not interested I mean I talked about the overly positive uh, narrative yes. about startup ecosystems but I, I know it's needed and it's fine but from my point of view and from a point of view of an ecosystem builder or someone who is trying to correct or improve things I think we need another narrative and uh, we need another yes. view that is very pragmatic and that relates really what's happening and so that's why I uh, I, I really um, wanted to, to do this and, uh, in this fashion and that's why the level of detail really mattered to me and well I had I mean Of course, as you said in your question, the relationships and the personal relationships I managed to establish in every country are critical for the success of my uh, of my project. And I think there are two aspects that were very important for me. It's the process and uh, the approach, and both were uh, as important one to another. Uh, My process was always the same. I always had like two or three contacts prior to coming to the country. And these three contacts were either longtime investors or serial funders who also participated in the building of the ecosystem. So these guys, they have the history of the ecosystem and they have the network. And my approach, that's why the approach was always important, was always to explain that I'm here to observe and to learn. I don't mm-hmm. come to teach lessons. I come with humility. Uh, to observe to learn then i uh, had to show them and convince them that i had the skills to transform this information and this data that they give me into a knowledge and into a knowledge that will be actionable and that will be shared for free to all interested ecosystem players and so that was very important because that's how I managed to get the trust of these two, three key mm. people uh, in each country. And then um, like it followed uh, like a kind of uh, waterfall process where uh, these guys introduced me to other investors mm-hmm. who provide me with uh, like a macro vision with the history of the ecosystem. And then they introduced me to other incubators, to other accelerators, and then to other startups. And so i had access this is how I, I managed to have access to a very different kind of players from investors to startup support organizations to also to 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 founders like the the public support side public support organization for entrepreneurs and stuff also universities and this whole thing gave me um, a complete and comprehensive outlook of what's happening in the country and uh, What are the stakes and the specificities of each ecosystem? How does it work? And uh, I managed to drive some lessons as well from each visit. Mm -hmm. And that was also something that was valuable for everyone. Uh, My mobility and the fact that I could go and talk to other ecosystem players, watch and learn, compare and uh, provide uh, with uh, connections when it's needed, introductions. And of course, with uh, the best practices that I could learn from one place to another that was very valuable for the ecosystem players who accepted to meet me and I think that was uh, a key aspect that facilitated everything for me
0: Okay, there's two aspects Dan thank you for sharing that there's two aspects that stick out for me there's just the word humility coming from a previous journalist journalism background I think a lack of ego is vital in looking to do high quality reporting, but sometimes I think you can see it in the modern media environment journalists to writers, whatever you want to call them, influencers, even they want to place themselves in the story, high quality journalism to a degree is not that. The writer is a fly in the wall reporting what they see. So I, I thoroughly agree with you. And then I guess the second, second part that sticks out to me is authenticity. Uh, in addition to lack of ego, you have authentically gone into these different ecosystems and also when approaching these key individuals uh, i'm sure showing through your track record that you're there to add value and in essence spread knowledge and widen everybody's networks that's what's always struck me about the ecosystem the willingness of different players in different countries and ecosystems to listen to other individuals to learn lessons and to take stock of what's happening elsewhere so authenticity and a lack of ego i think that seems to be the the two takeouts me beyond beyond the quality of your work your personal approach that's maybe what seems to be the, your ultimate setting point in a way from a personal standpoint. Well, that's what I feel also talking to you personally speaking, but I'm a little bit biased uh, since I do, I've enjoyed working with you thus far. So then <laughs> um, following from that, uh, you said you identify two or three key persons in each ecosystem that you'd like to talk to. A, how do you go about reaching out to them? Do you use LinkedIn, for example? I guess you do have networks from people you meet. Uh, so do you reach out to these individuals that you want to speak to? How do you choose them? And uh, look, I think you've kind of answered this question already. But how receptive, in general, are the ecosystem participants in speaking to you? And just just very quickly, do they yeah. quiz you? On what you know <laughs> before speaking to them. Yeah.
1: Well, to, to answer the, the first question, how do yes. I reach to how do I reach them? Um, mm. uh, me, my my preference would be for a physical meeting, as of course, okay. because as you mentioned it, there they can really feel that I'm sincere and true in my uh, in my yes. approach. Yes. but of course, if it's not possible, I would go for anything. But usually, these two three key people, they were either already in my network. Or I, I got introduced to them through uh, someone who is in my network. And so um, okay. so it was a, a much more uh, direct approach. And, and this process, I mean, it, it would cover like 80% of the, the people I met with, approximately. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, I had to spare some time for more hazardous meetings, you know, like serendipity. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very glad to see like how people were receptive and willing to talk in most ecosystems. Not every meeting was as inspiring and fruitful <laughs> as the one I had with Andile, if he's listening. Yes, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. but but no, no, honestly, I think it's, I, I insist on that it was absolutely mandatory for me to remain open at at all costs. Mm. So um, yeah, I I had some really good surprises as well, you know, uh, like some people who got in touch with me, uh, like through Facebook, uh, with uh, like okay. uh, poor writing skills, and who uh, at f- at the first glance you would not who would not uh, really inspire, uh, I don't know, uh, trust, but mm. that uh, ended up being uh, very very inspiring people and had uh, very great stories to tell, and that very very thankful, thankful and grateful. To have met, uh, so, and I, I think it's a matter of giving and receiving, you know. And mm-hmm. in most startup ecosystems, where in Africa, where there are still um, nascent startup ecosystems in the building, etc., people know that they need each other. And I think especially in that industry, I was talking to a friend just uh, yesterday who launched uh, a company in um, in the logistics industry, and he did, he didn't have any network in that industry in France. And he was telling me how complicated it was for him to get the first contacts, to get the trust of the first people, either they are clients or suppliers or pot- potential partners and stuff. I feel like we are blessed in the in this specific industry, like in startup ecosystems and in tech ecosystems in Africa, regarding this, because it's deeply rooted in the in the common culture. That helping each other and being open to demands, to connections, etc., is very, is very important. Mm. And so, honestly, I was uh, really surprised about this. But I was really surprised how easy it was and um, to mm. to get access to people and how responsive people were when I introduced myself and once again said that with humility, I'm just here to learn and to. Uh, and to talk uh, about the model of his startup or the model of his incubator, I'm very interested in their business model, in the way they approach this and this, etc. And so people were very, uh, no, no, honestly, I'm, I feel, uh, I feel blessed after uh, this one year. People were very receptive, and I feel uh, very thankful for that.
0: Does it feel like more than one year? So much has happened. The speed of the ecosystem, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find very, very difficult to keep up with uh, at, <laughs> at, at at times. Okay, in a way, you, 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 you. Hinting at what I was just going to ask you next, as people are listening maybe, because I know part of the title of this episode is networking. And so far, it's being humble. Uh, I think being honest in terms of what you want to do, being authentic and trying to meet in person. I tend mm-hmm. to agree in, in the in the, in the the digital age since since COVID, COVID's changed the working model. We've gone to hybrid models. As an example, I've always found when interviewing someone or talking to someone in person, well, in person versus digital, yeah. in person is markedly better yeah, because you can read body language uh, they can read your body language you could just communicate better so mm. saying that what do you think is your most important skill or two that you leverage most regularly to engage with ecosystem players and in, in your networking activities, mm-hmm. uh, beyond your writing skills, I think those are <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah.
1: <of> <laughs> I would say the the first one obviously we've talked about it already, but it's humility, and mm-hmm. I, I insist on this yes. one. It was easy to see me as a consultant who comes from France and who, mm-hmm. who already knows about or knows everything and wants to. Uh, you know, uh, with uh, some um, arrogance and uh, comes with, with lessons to give, etc. But I was really not in that approach. I really, uh, as I said, was just here to learn about a continent that I don't know, about culture that I don't know. And uh, and so that was a very uh, critical, I think. in the Because, as I said, it was a waterfall process. So I did not only need to get in touch with people, I needed their trust so that they can then introduce me to five or six people in their network, you know. And so to do that, you need to engage them into into your project. And so I had to to be very humble about this. And of course, always uh, showing the reward. And the reward in that case was that my study and the Mm -hmm. data that they give me will be turned into an actionable knowledge for them, but also for other ecosystem players. And I think the second important skill i don't know if it's a skill but i would say curiosity
0: ah uh, that is a skill i think some people are curious enough or, <laughs> yeah, and I willing think... to let themselves be curious i think uh, I, I like that answer why, why would you say curiosity
1: yeah but curiosity because you need to be interested and truly interested in the people you are talking to and you need to be yes. truly interested in their business, into understanding it. In Like uh, that joins, uh, like when, when you talked about the the networking, maybe uh, insights that you can drive from uh, from mm-hmm. this, I will truly add this one as uh, maybe not as curiosity, but as preparation. And you need to know exactly what you, you want from these people and what do you want from this guy? What do you want from this company? Mm-hmm. In my case, I always, before I interview someone, I will spend time looking to his model, looking to his, mm. to some interviews of the founder, try to understand his vision, etc. And then from that, um, I, I was. Naturally interested in knowing more about some very specific aspects of their business, like for example, why do you think that? Uh, why did you choose? I don't know a direct distribution model instead of going through a network of distributors. Uh, why did you uh, choose to produce locally instead of relying on uh, on, um, on subsidies, etc.? So, so I um, the, like my first inquiries and investigations really, really got me. Uh, curious about, about the, the, the the people and the businesses I was going to uh, to interview. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very important because you need, and especially during a one-year project like this, that is very repetitive because every month, every time I got into a new country or a new ecosystem, I had to repeat the same process, etc. So it can, it can be uh, tiring. Yes. And I think if you don't have this curiosity that fuels everything up, you do not reflect the same energy and the same enthu- enthusiasm mm. all the time. And that's, uh, that, I think, is also mandatory uh, for what to get the attention of people, to get them interested in you and to get them believe in your project, you know.
0: Mm. Uh, and then you start you in the words, in a way, in terms of my thinking about this. Curiosity and preparation, aka research, they're linked. If you're curious about something, you'll put in yeah, the absolutely. work to learn absolutely. about it, and then when you and as you've just noted right now, when you're sitting in front of a subject or an interviewee, if you haven't done your research, then in authenticity will shine through. But you're dealing with sharp people who, who who've dealt with a wide range of different sort of different people from business angles and media angles. If you're not prepared, an interviewee will most likely know which will affect the quality of the output that you receive. So um, I thoroughly agree with that. I'm very big on preparation. Having learned some lessons about not being prepared (laughs) in the past, (laughs) I'm no angel. I've learned that lesson very much the hard (laughs) way. Very quickly, how many ecosystems have you traveled to or countries? I know we use the word ecosystem a lot, but how many countries in Africa have you traveled to thus far? Last year
1: during this last year, 13. 13, as part of the project. 13. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I only got uh, 41. So I just had to be corrected about 41 to go. So far, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> one one that's, at a time.
1: That's the thing. I wanted to go there and to do this to know about Africa. But the more I I, I went mm. and the more I did, the more I realized how much I had left to do.
0: Uh yeah. I guess what what, what, what um just, what's the saying? It's quicksand. Uh, the more <laughs> the more you the work, more I uh, know, the, deep, the more yeah I realized
1: the. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the, the exactly. deeper
0: it gets exactly. okay well any part of media work there is the ethics side of it i think this is the great area that sometimes when a reader reads an article they don't quite understand that it's one version of the truth or it's one perspective of a reality being presented where a writer's role is you're the you're the judge of that reality i don't have quite the right word for it but a lot of the responsibility of what the reader reads is on the writer shaping uh, the view Mm. So, uh, speaking of that there's the difficulty and, and the challenges a writer faced when producing anything I mean, as a sole judge of, of the reality the reader takes in how tricky can it be when speaking to founders and investors you've said that generally speaking they're very open-minded willing to share but when conducting your research i imagine that they might have their own agenda or would that be quite a spot <laughs> of me, i guess it's coming from me quite a cynical view of the research process have you found it to be a bit more elevated than that in your experience
1: yeah, uh, just to answer the, the first uh, thought mm. in in your question, and I think you, you, you're perfectly right when you're a writer, you have a responsibility because you are the sole judge of a reality and the way you translate it is very important in that regard. And especially for me, if we are talking about ecosystem building, and if, you know, uh, as I told you during the my first answer, my motivation was to really to make my job impactful and useful, given that it was a big responsibility for me and a big ethical question. And I think that the, well, the, the best answer I could provide about this is to try to keep as neutral and pragmatic as um, mm. as a consultant can be, actually, like um, to, to try to bring the consultant approach into the um, reporter or journalistic sphere, you know, the media sphere, yes. and uh, that's why, as well, I, I I could not limit myself to the two thousand words <laughs> during the, the pieces <laughs> that we we wrote together, and uh, because I I feel like I need to give everything, every yes. little detail that will provide maybe another perspective right. or add something. And mm. for the the your second question, yeah, like for. <laughs> Indeed, speaking to founders and investors can be um, a little bit tricky, but I call this the carrot game. So, you know, in French, there is a saying, you say there is the the, the carrot and the thick. I didn't have any thick, but the more I uh, moved on to uh, new countries and the more I extended my network, the more I knew startups and the more I knew investors. Mm. And both are desperately looking for each other. And so, yes. and so at some point, I I had reached a sufficient amount of investors that I knew in, in my network, looking for I don't know ed tech startups or health tech startups or or fintech startups in this specific region, etc. That. Only this became a sufficient incentive for startups in a new country in health tech or in ed tech or in uh, to come and talk to me, and of course then it's my job to keep in mind what's the interest of each player, and through my mm-hmm. questions and through uh, and through the, the the interview, to try to uh, decipher like why is uh, the motivation Yeah, yeah, sorry, a yeah. Mm. yeah exactly and so yeah yeah I I had to spend time and that's why also it was important for me to meet with them to or to meet with most of them um, physically because then it's easier to understand all these unspoken and untold um, um, nuances yeah exactly and
0: uh, I understand yes <laughs> okay now well in a nutshell the more that you've done this, the more people that you've spoken to you've just increased the you might have experience mm-hmm. you have conducting these sort of interviews and experience in my mind is it's not what you do in when times are good experience helps you through the bad and helps you identify the bad because you've been there before absolutely and you've seen it yeah so just through <laughs> it's almost like panel beating your car yeah. uh, you, you 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 knock off the, the scrapes the bumps and, and the the edges in a vehicle till till you get to its pristine form through hard work, and that's what that's what your traveling has done. Yeah, absolutely. In a nutshell, and it
1: teaches you as well, like how to um, avoid certain questions because you know that the answer will yes. not be fruitful. It gives you uh, some uh, insights as well about uh, how to read between the lines and understand. Uh, yes. Yeah, of course, yeah.
0: No, it's a degree, a degree in in human psychology, <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> just through interviewing people, it is, it is very very interesting. Yeah. All right, we've already been going for quite some time, so I just have one more question for you. Abdul, before, before we close, just based on your experiences, now this is, I guess, tilted towards more the business side of things, which African ecosystems, maybe you can name one or two, do you think will be the most interesting to observe in the next five years and why? You could go to the big four or not, that's up to you, but just based on your experiences on the ground, I guess your very nuanced view mm-hmm. of what's happening, which ones do you think will be the ones we should keep our eyes on? Over the next five years, considering the developments taking place internally?
1: Uh, I I think that these predictions are always uh, risky because.
0: uh, (laughs) That's why we (laughs) ask, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Putting the flag up, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but mostly, unfortunately, because African economies are still, and okay, of course, their startup ecosystems are still. Yes. very very subject to be impacted by external shocks 100%. by uh, like this chronic instability uh, which can yes. be sometimes political sometimes economical sometimes social sometimes mm. i don't know can jeopardize everything yes. but that being said the the way i see it there are five large groups of uh, startup mm-hmm. ecosystems of course you have the, the big four uh, no need to talk about that nigeria south africa yes. e- egypt and, and kenya then you have the second group, which is made of very different. Well, all groups are made of very, very different and very specific countries, and so so even the fact of putting them in the same group can be uh, can be discussed. But right. then the, the second group, I would say, you could put Tunisia, Tanzania, Uganda, Ghana, maybe Zambia. Then I would say there is a third group, which is made of countries such as Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire. Morocco, uh, Rwanda. And then you have, I think, a fourth group of countries with great potential, but no uh, real uh, blocks or no true uh, endeavors that have been put together to, to show concretely that it's happening, where I can put Algeria, Angola, uh, DRC. And then you have a fifth group, which is the rest of the continent. And I think... Okay. The, the second and third groups are the probably the, the most interesting to, to watch in the next five years. If I had to pick one, it would be Tunisia. I think it's the country where I've been the, the most impressed by the, the consistency of the, the ecosystem, its strategy and its execution. They are going through an economic and a political crisis right now. And that's why it was very important to start by saying that uh, um, these predictions can be very risky. risky.
0: But context is everything. Yes. Yeah, but I'm really convinced
1: <laughs> yeah. from what yeah. I've seen that if things turn in the right way politically, and well, then economic, in, economically it will follow. But uh, if th- if things turn in the right way, uh, I would uh, probably place place my bet on Tunisia.
0: Okay. Well, uh, what interests me about uh, having not heard this prediction before is proximity to Europe similar to Egypt. Also, it's placed within within North Africa, and I say that with inverted commas as well. And it's proximity to Egypt, mm-hmm. as well. I'm sure there must be some synchronicities between the two ecosystems. But also, this is, I'd say, it's a personal point from my point of view, the size of the country. Yeah, Smaller countries sometimes are perhaps it's easier to synergize the ecosystem in one direction or to create an, it's easier to create an enabling environment. Mm-hmm. Just the geographical distance is smaller. Yeah, of course. Uh, and that, this, I'd call that a very high level observation, but it's, uh, Uganda I'd imagine is an example of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think
1: it's always, you know, it's always the same, not always the same, but uh, you have some metrics that definitely play a great role, but the level of education of the population, of course, is very important. And in Tunisia, uh, the level of education right. is great and Mm. Um, one other important aspect is that women play a great role in society, and so compared to Morocco, to Algeria, or to to Egypt, you really mm. have a hundred percent of the population that is active, uh, that is educated, and that can play a part.
0: They're giving giving themselves the greatest chance of success. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a simply point. That's, what, that's why. I've, I think histories have shown inclusive societies, progressive in societies, I'll put that also again in inverted commas, since that's a loaded word, just tend to perform better economically it's due to the fact they're harnessing their entire population mm-hmm. versus a segment of their population more broadly yeah, speaking definitely. but look Abdul I could speak to you for <laughs> for a very long time but I think we're <laughs> going to close it there I just want to thank you so much just for joining us it's been great chatting to you I've really enjoyed
1: it it was my pleasure thank you so much for having me and thank you as well to, to our producers for recording everything <laughs>
0: no it's been our pleasure <laughs> Abdul I hope to see you in Johannesburg in Cape Town soon and to you the listener thank you for listening we'll catch you next time